Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Music declares emergency. In tune with the planet. It's 12 o'clock on Earth Day and this is Music Declared Emergency Radio. I'm Faye Milton. And I'm Sam Lee. And we are looking forward to keeping you entertained and informed over the next couple of hours. Music today has been chosen from our Declarers playlist. Yes, we put a call out on our socials asking our followers to choose tracks inspired by the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, which is today. And also inspired by lockdown because, well, that's where we all are at the moment. So we've got some great music coming up as well as a lot of fantastic guests. Later in the show, we'll be joined by award-winning singer-songwriter Beth Orton, and we've asked Beth to pick four tracks that have particular significance to her to add to our No Music on a Dead Planet playlist. We'll be hearing those tracks and talking about them with Beth and also chatting to her about what she's currently up to and how she's surviving lockdown. We're also going to be hearing from the author Tom Goodall, who will be in conversation with Music Declares climate campaigner and musician Tom Hardy. Tom, a.k.a. Leicester Square from seminal new wave band The Monochrome Set, will be talking to Chris about his latest book, What We Need to Do Now for a Zero Carbon Future. And we will be catching up with Nigel Adams from independent record label Full Time Hobby about surviving lockdown and what changes he's been making to his business to make it more sustainable. But first, we want to tell you a bit more about Music Declares Emergency. Music Declares Emergency is a group of artists, music industry professionals and organisations that stand together to declare a climate and ecological emergency and also to call for an immediate governmental response to protect all life on Earth. We formed almost a year ago now, and in that time we've had over 3,000 sign-ups, including major labels such as Sony, Universal and Warner, loads and loads of indie labels, promoters, venues, all sorts of areas in the music industry, and so many artists, we can't list them all now, it would take forever. But some of the usual suspects you'd expect, Radiohead, Massive Attack, Peggy Seeger, Brian Eno, those people who've been in the climate world for a long time some names you might not expect like Mick Hucknall and Annie Lennox and then huge pop acts like the 1975 Billie Eilish through to super cool stuff like Shabaka Hutchins Giles Peterson Nadine Shah and so many more so we've really really had a great response from the industry to this declaration So there are two main areas that we're working on and one is to green the music industry and to help create a future in the industry that's sustainable. And then the other thing that we're working on that's vitally important is calling on our governments to take urgent action on climate. And this is really vital and we need to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. So that's part of our declaration. And so that's what all of these artists and labels and industry have agreed with. And we're all on the same page and we're all asking the government to make these changes. So we've got loads of campaigns going on at the moment. We're going to tell you about one of them later. Um, But if you'd like to find out more about Music Declares Emergency, then please go to our website. It is musicdeclares.net. And on the website, we also have loads of resources that will help you um, find ways to make the industry greener if you are part of the music industry and uh, also really good advice for, for everyone who's listening. So you can also go and sign up to our declaration on the site. So there's a sign up page if you want to get involved and join us and join this movement. Um, we welcome you and yeah and beyond that we welcome you to the show today so that was wonderful world beautiful people by jimmy clear and it's the first track taken from our declarers playlist on the theme of earth day but what is earth day i hear you all ask and i will tell you a little bit about the story that started 50 years ago today 
after the a terrible situation in Santa Barbara of a major oil spill that killed over 10,000 seabirds, dolphins, sea lions and seals, and was the first great public awareness of the impact of man's doing upon the environment. And many important powers got together, senators and activists spearheaded by Dennis Hayes, the day was declared as a celebration of all ecosystems and the importance of protection. It gathered together tens and in fact hundreds of thousands of protesters around North America and indeed the world to march and show their support for environmental awareness and really was the birthplace of the environmental protection movement. Um, and out of that came many great figures, including artists who were there at the front line supporting uh, a mission that was sitting very much by the side of the civil rights movement. And one of those artists who really took the forefront was Joni Mitchell and her song Big Yellow Taxi became a bit of an anthem to that situation as one of the first real on-the-nose environmental songs. So we're now going to play in recognition of Joni Mitchell and Earth Day's 50th anniversary. Here is Big Yellow Taxi. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what your money is doing when you're not looking? Do you know where your bank, ISA or pension fund are investing your money? Well, Music Declares Emergency are encouraging the music industry and any individual or organisation to lobby financial institutions towards making ethical and sustainable investment and demanding divestment from fossil fuel industries and other dubious corporations. Today, we are really excited to be partnering in launching a brand new campaign called Earth Day Switch, a movement encouraging you to switch to safer banks and energy providers. And to tell us more about it, we'd like to welcome Sophie Cowan from Earth Day Switch. Sophie, thanks so much for coming on the show and welcome. Um, I want to start uh, by asking you to tell us a little bit more about what Earth Day Switch actually is. Thanks, Sam. Um, lovely to be here. Um, so... Earth Day Switch. Essentially, it's a mass movement of money away from banks and energy companies that are funding fossil fuels. Um, it's a growing number of people who are realising that their money is directly contributing to um, uh, to ecological destruction and, and climate change and um, wanting to do something about it. So um, Earth Day Switch is that move um, and it's it's increasing the awareness around this issue. Brilliant. So what prompted you to set this campaign up? So the amount of money that banks and energy companies put into fossil fuels um, is really quite terrifying. $2.7 trillion since 2016 has been put into fossil fuels. Um, that's our money uh, that we're putting into our banks um, when we get our paychecks. And that's a really, really terrifying thought. Um, to add to this, 65% of us don't even know that our money is, is funding this. Um, so it seemed only logical to um, build the awareness around this issue. And um, essentially, in a time where, where we really, really need to be taking strong action um give people a way of of doing that sophie i i have been told that you are more likely to get divorced than to change your bank so i was wondering if you can tell us how do you get a divorce i mean how do you change your bank <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really simple to change your bank and uh the banks actually make it really easy for you um they guide you through the process so simply just looking up the current account that you want to switch to looking up the energy provider that you want to move to um giving them a call and um i think more than ever right at the moment um they're going to be really willing um to to help you through the process so I've been on the website and it's super simple. Um, and that's one of the things we really love about it, that it's it's very, very easy to use. So can you tell us how the website works and how people can get involved? Sure. So as you say, Faye, it is super simple. EarthDaySwitch.org. Um, you will see the switch tool and you can just select your bank or your energy provider from the drop down menu. So I would put in NatWest because I've been banking with them for years. Um, I click a button and it tells me, unsurprisingly, that actually NatWest invests in fossil fuels 
more than most other banks globally. Um, at this point, I'm definitely going to share this news, um, which you can do simply through the website. Um, and then I'm going to switch my bank. Um, so I'm also going to be taken straight to the website to do that. So yeah, it's super simple. Go to the website, use the tool, share what you found out and um, yeah, increase the amount of people moving their banks out of fossil fuels. Yeah, Sophie, it's brilliant to hear. And I, I, I will just say what's really brilliant about this website is that if you go onto individual other banks' websites, they all make themselves look about as though they're greener than they actually are. And you as an independent organisation that's looking at actually what their relative, you know, kind of credentials are, it's a much more accurate insight into who's good and who's not good. Um, so I was really surprised to see some banks that I thought were doing a, a, a good job and paint themselves green actually aren't as good as they say they are. So Earth Day Switch is a really simple and effective tool that can help you understand what your money is funding and how you can change it. The website again is earthdayswitch.org and you can get involved with helping to promote the campaign alongside Music Declares by filming yourself using the website and sharing it on your socials and tagging Music Declares and Earth Day Switch. And so we can share it too. So the website, once again, is earthdayswitch.org. Thanks so much for coming on our show, Sophie, and good luck with the campaign. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yep, do follow us on socials, um, Twitter at earthdayswitch and Instagram at earth.day.switch. It's only four degrees, it's only four degrees This is Music Declares Emergency and our very first radio show and you were just listening to Four Degrees by Anoni. If you've just joined us then welcome, very pleased to have you here. And coming up we'll be talking to our very special guest that is Beth Orton who'll be choosing tracks for our No Music on a Dead Planet playlist. But right now we're going to have our first in a series of features with Music Declares very own Tom Hardy aka Leicester Square from Monochrome Set and every month he's going to be in conversation with a climate scientist or expert. Today he's going to be joined by the author Chris Goodall who'll be talking about his latest book what we need to do now for a zero carbon future. I'm really pleased to welcome Chris Goodall here today. As well as having had a career steeped in clean technology investment, Chris is a prolific award-winning writer on green energy transition with six books on new technologies under his belt. His latest book is called What We Need to Do Now and it's published by Profile Books. The Financial Times described it as a granular and focused guide to a zero carbon future. And I found it highly readable. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for being our inaugural expert witness. Um, with scary science coming thick and fast, I must say your book gave me some much needed hope about the future. Um, with examples in every chapter showing that we do have the solutions right now, it seems only political will that's holding us back. But first, let's back up a bit um, and talk about the urgency for the uninitiated um, the IPCC, of course, gave us 12 years, but where are we now? Well, we're now heading to a temperature rise of probably around three degrees, uh, if, if current projections are accurate, and we can't be certain about that. What does three degrees mean? It means that large parts of the world become uninhabitable, uh, agriculture becomes impossible in many countries, we'll see massive migration uh, we will be disrupting our natural systems in unprecedented and unpredictable ways. Um, it's probably exaggerating to say that it makes the planet uninhabitable, but it makes life very much less pleasant for a very large fraction of the world's population. Every reason to act now, there is plenty of opportunity to do so. Uh, politics has made this difficult so far, but there are signs perhaps that it is becoming easier to envisage the sort of changes we need to make. Yes, 50% of, uh, of the rise in emissions have happened um, since the early 70s, since Stairway to Heaven was released. Um, so that, that means that the hockey stick curve is exponentially scary. Uh, yes, it is very scary, uh, but it is striking nevertheless that a the majority of political systems around the world are not acting with sufficient awareness of how just how scary the whole situation is. 
things are changing, things are getting better. The mass movements have had a, an enormous effect upon on political realities around the world. Nevertheless, we aren't treating this as the emergency that it is. Now, one of the one of the things that I found exciting and that crops up all over the place in your book is is the use of hydrogen, um, which seems it seems almost a universal panacea across your chapters. Can you talk about its potential? When you use the word words universal panacea, Tom, I was it sounds as though it's too good to be true. I think we need to recognise that hydrogen currently is more expensive than other sources of potential of energy, fossil fuels. But nevertheless, for almost all the difficult to decarbonise bits of the economy worldwide, hydrogen does fulfil the important objective of producing enough energy for everybody to live a decent life, but at the same time not adding to the problem of global warming. I found the um, the Orkneys project right. that you described very exciting. Um, c- could you just explain a bit about that project? Yes. Let, let's, can I talk first a little bit about why hydrogen and how you get hydrogen, Tom? Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. Why hydrogen? Right. Hydrogen's an energy carrier. This is obviously the simplest molecule. It's created very simply. It's used very simply to create other molecules. It's highly reactive. We can burn it and create energy, but we can also use it to combine with other things to make fuels or substitutes for um, for the things we need, the, the uh, petrochemicals, etc., that we need. Now, um, let's go on. Let's go on to Orkney. What Orkney found a few years ago was that it has wonderful resources of renewable energy, wind, obviously, but also increasingly tidal at the European Energy Collection, Energy Centre on the, on the islands where experiments on tidal energy are carried out. The people of Orkney found that they were wasting a vast fraction of the renewable energy available to them, possibly as much as 50% of all the wind energy that the island captures ends up by being wasted at the moment because it can't be exported to the mainland. Remember, Orkney is a set of islands some way off the northeast coast of Scotland. So that energy was sitting there waiting to be used. And the people of Orkney, and it seems a collective effort, I've never been there, but I've talked extensively to people on on the Orkney Islands, they decided that they could find a use for this. And in doing so, they have created the greatest laboratory for hydrogen in the world. That is to say, how you collect, how you create hydrogen, how you collect it, how you store it, and how then you use it. So the people of Orkney are now using hydrogen for heating, they're using hydrogen for transport, and they're using hydrogen for converting back into electricity when needed. Those are the portfolio of things that hydrogen can do there. Around the rest of the world, hydrogen can do things such as help make a steel instead of using coal, you can make fertilizer instead of using natural gas. The list goes on. You call it a universal panacea, and in some ways it is, because there's virtually nothing which we can't decarbonize by using hydrogen and using it in a way that's clean and safe. How, how close are we to persuading big energy that this is the way forward? I, I think the last few months, indeed since the publication of my book, have been truly remarkable because we are definitely beginning to see signs that the large oil and gas companies realize that their future depends on them switching to hydrogen. So what we're beginning to see is the investment in very large energy generation projects such as offshore wind accompanied by hydrogen, sponsored by Shell, by BP and other companies around the world. There are a million miles from saying, right, from now on, it's hydrogen, nothing but hydrogen. But we've seen more movement in the last few months than we've seen in the preceding decades. Flying, of course, is the elephant in the room when discussing sustainable touring with uh, eco-conscious musicians. Uh, And again, in your book, hydrogen crops up as a potential solution. Um, But I must say I'm immediately reminded of the Hindenburg. Uh, Can you you put my mind at rest? Well, what made the Hindenburg uh, such a disaster was not the hydrogen itself. It was the way that the surface of the airship was covered, the chemicals on the surface. We are storing hydrogen today. Uh, We are storing safely. We're storing hydrogen safely. Something like 70 million tons of hydrogen is made already 
uh, around the world today. Mostly that goes into making fertilizer or goes to operating refineries. But nevertheless, we're skilled now at making it and storing it, and there's no reason why we can't continue to do so. So we're beginning to also investigate the possibility of burning hydrogen uh, in domestic heating systems. So we've now got boilers, domestic heating boilers, which can run off hydrogen. And that, the hydrogen comes to those domestic heating boilers, at least in prospect, via the existing natural gas system. So you may say, ah, oh, well, the Hindenburg proves that hydrogen is dangerous. Yes, it is, but it's no more dangerous than, for example, petrol. Uh, in fact, probably by most standards, it's easier to, to live with, easier to control, easier to make safe than highly combustible fuels like petrol. Well, I'm, I'm put slightly at ease over that. <laughs> Talking about um, refurbishing household heating, it reminds me of the push in the 60s that every every home should have an indoor toilet, um, which probably would have, you know, had the same, been as expensive, but, you know, obviously political will was there at the time. This, this is, as, as you said earlier, Tom, this is all a question of political will. There are no technological problems of any significance remaining. There really aren't. Good news. So uh, let's move on to food. You mentioned um, this scary three degrees of warming, which uh, I've read will render everything below the 50th parallel as desert, which will completely disrupt food supplies, the very least. Can you bring hope to this situation in food production and agriculture? Well, in the book, I, I, I make the assertion, which I think is backed significantly by science, that the climate impact of food production, and it's very significant, perhaps a quarter of all greenhouse gas emissions come from food production, the bulk of that comes from the production of livestock, and particularly cattle. So the world does have, it really has, we have very little alternative but to move away from cattle and other ruminant animals such as sheep and goats. The good news is, of course, is that the uh, cultivation of cows and sheep uses up an enormous amount of land. So were the UK, for example, and this is particularly relevant in light of what is happening today in, in mid-April, were the UK to decide to move to a much more vegan-based diet, we, we, we would release enormous quantities of land, and we're above the 50th parallel, of course, almost all of the UK is, um, that we can use for uh, the creation of good, healthy foodstuffs which do not use meat as the transport for our calories, to put it in a slightly pedantic way. So... The great thing about moving away from a meat-based diet is we have very much more land to use for the creation of other foods. I love the one of the no-brainers in your book was the uh, pointing out that sheep farming is worth one billion a year, but you, the UK imports eight billion billion pounds worth of wood. Um, all we need to do is replace sheep with trees, um, and we've saved seven billion pounds. Uh, I mean, the point I try to make in uh, in the book is that the UK is very unusual uh, in the sense that much of our land is given over to rough grazing of sheep and other small number of other animals. We are the least forested large country in Europe at the same time. And the reasons are connected. We, are, we haven't got much forest because we have a vast number of sheep and we've given over most of the areas that would naturally be forested to the creation of, um, of expensive, inefficient sheep farms. Um, so we have the space to rewild, to build new forests, to build industries which can provide employment in, resident, in rural areas based upon the creation of wood. Um, I'd just like to touch upon fashion because, of course, music and fashion have a, a long symbiotic connection. Um, I know the fashion business wants to change. I, I was at a, an XR action during Fashion Week last year where surreally XR co-founder Claire Farrell was prevented from entering the building to receive her award for sustainable fashion because of her membership of XR. You give some solutions there, particularly with some brand names that have come to the fore. Um, do you want to just say a few words about where we should go in the clothing industry. Once again, the difficult message for all of us is probably we, end, we, we need to end up buying fewer clothes. And I think quite a lot of figures in the fashion industry are beginning to accept that. You see this more and more. 
that fashion not only needs to be made more sustainable, but we need less of it. In some ways, clothing is the least sustainable economic activity of all the ones we've discussed so far when it comes to environmental degradation and also water use. We're using a lot of water in water-stressed areas to to grow cotton, uh, and we are using a lot of very nasty chemicals to make clothing in areas where we in Britain don't see. Uh, Now, there are solutions to this. We can use uh, much more sustainable materials, uh, of which cellulose-based clothing materials such as tensile are good examples. But broadly speaking, what we we have to do is to reorientate the society so that we we make fewer clothes, we keep them longer, we look after them better, we repair them, we restructure them if we change shape, um, and we create an industry that makes sure that, um, that all those that clothing is kept in, in good order for long periods. It's, it's what we're doing in Music Declares. Uh, we're trying to push the idea of uh, repurposing merchandising so that um, T-shirts may just have a, a new screen print or block print on them to commemorate each each gig that uh, fans go to, just taking the same T-shirt along. It seems like a more interesting way of celebrating a gig. Well, it seems that the biggest challenge we have is scaling up all the startups that show promise uh, that you talk about. So what business or political nudges would you advocate beyond roadblocking to get things moving? Well, I think the most important thing, Tom, is something which is not politically discussed enough in the UK, which is starting to price carbon. That is to say, if you emit, if your activities emit greenhouse gases, you have to pay a price. You have to pay a tax for that. Set at the right level, that will induce very rapid decarbonisation. Uh, it will it will cost. Uh, it means some prices will go up. It means we'll have to protect some people's incomes. But nevertheless, this is the way to get big business uh, behind uh, the, the transition and to help small businesses with innovative new ideas to develop more rapidly to decarbonize at a much faster rate than we're seeing at the moment. Well, I think that that's a, a very good broad message uh, to end with. So, um, again, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, I can thoroughly recommend your book, What We Need to Do Now, available for the moment uh, via all good delivery services. Um, So for now, thanks very much. Think positive and test negative. Thank you, Tom. Music declares emergency in tune with the planet. A unique and beguiling voice, accomplished songwriter and lyricist and Brit Award winning and Mercury nominated artist Beth Orton has been at the forefront of the UK music scene for 25 years. With more than six solo albums and a host of collaborations, including releases with the Chemical Brothers, William Orbit and Red Snapper, Beth is a valued supporter of Music Declares Emergency and she'll be joining us after we have heard this track from the 2012 Sugaring season. Hi Beth. Hi Faye. Hi Beth, thanks so much for joining us today and thanks for being the very first guest to choose tracks for our Declarers playlist. How, how are you doing and how are you getting on surviving lockdown? Good. Yeah. I mean, it's not that different. I mean, you know, it's not my life isn't that. I mean, it's different in that I have kids around all the time, but generally the kind of shape of just isolation is 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 something I'm very good with. I'm quite. No, I, I probably there's elements of it that I quite enjoy and there's, you know, elements that are slightly frustrating. But yeah. Absolutely. And, and has your work and, and the things you're working on been affected and, or changed by the strange times that we're in? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, you adapt. And I think the thing is that the adaption is, is the uh, interesting part of, of it all. Beth, you were among Music Declare Emergency's first declarers. And so thanks so much for that. Um, oh, can I ask, why, what motivated you to get involved with environmental campaigning? 
Um, I have been involved in various forms of campaigning since I was a little girl. I mean, Maddie and I were brought up with the whole CND movement. and Maddie being our radio producer yeah. for you listeners. Um, so you've you've been you were dipped in it from birth, really. For you, it like protection of the environment is something that's that isn't a new thing. It's been there throughout your 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 growing up. Yeah, definitely. And so you played the first Extinction Rebellion at Marble Arch just over a year ago. Can you tell us about that? Um, it was amazing. It was the most. I mean, the night before, I went down and I saw a um, um, massive attack sound system. And I was so moved um, just by this incredible kind of carnival of, I don't know, just this this extraordinary coming together of people um, in the middle of town, walking through the streets, being able to like uh, um, interact with people and and just just a very peaceful atmosphere and and a very sort of hopeful atmosphere. And then when we did the gig, it was, funnily enough, we were the last, Sam um, Amadon joined me, and we were the last people to play uh, just before the police pulled the whole thing down. So I like to think that I instigated that. <laughs> That's it. They'd had enough once, once yeah. they'd heard your set. God, get her off stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was there, and it was, it was incredible. It was a beautiful moment. Everyone who was there will remember that really fondly in their hearts Beth you um you actually you uh put the point across well that actually the music is is what made that rebellion so powerful um and how much that was the the kind of spine of the whole week long or and longer um uprising back this time last year um and for our playlist uh, we've asked you to choose a song that you find empowering or a song that you think changed the world um and we're going to start off with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On and I want to ask what that song is for you and why you've chosen it I mean to some degree now you could possibly say it's like a real cliche to to pick that song but I I don't care I find it it uplifting and joyful and the message is incredibly powerful and I feel like when I do feel a sense of injustice and I and you know that that kind of powerlessness that you can feel I put on a song like that and, and I feel hopeful and I, and I feel joyful and I, I feel like there is there are people who, who want the same thing and who, who want to make a difference. I mean, it is anthemic, really, of the movement, but it's also archetypal, I think, that song. It taps into something that will is perennial and will always be, but also grows in its tragedy that we need to be singing this song still and playing and identifying with it that we haven't worked out what's going on yet there's so much to learn and um i think it's a tragedy where where we are and i don't i don't think it's surprising but what's extraordinary about this moment where we are right now with the pandemic is this hope and this, you know, can be a very difficult area to get into because, you know, there's so many social and economical implications and it's very tricky to, to just kind of like glibly say, oh, isn't this wonderful? It's going to do so much good for the planet. Um, I don't think it has to be an economical disaster or an economic disaster that, that, that causes good for the planet. I think, I think that it's extraordinary, though, that I hope that some of the lessons that we that we will gain from this time and not obviously all of them because it's what is going on right now is a tragedy but um that there will be you know we will come away from this and go oh my god the air was clear there was you know we could we could see further than we've seen for for years and it and it happened actually relatively quickly the kind of you know the pollution cleared up rel- relatively quickly in a lot of ways um so it's extra- we have already been shown the the detail of 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 what we can do to make profound change in actually quite small ways um and i will be careful with what i'm saying because there's a lot of people experiencing profound trauma in their lives right now, and I don't think there has to be that level of trauma for uh, good to happen. But but a sideline of this has been 
the, the effect that it's having on the environment, which is, 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 is powerful. I, I want to continue that because you, you make a very good point. Um, and yes, there's an enormous amount of suffering and, and both from those who are affected directly by the disease, but also the social issues that are exacerbated. And a lot of them are very connected with the environmental issues that we have right now. But also that there's the other side to it. There's a lot of the consequences of this uh, circumstance and, and the, as you're saying, the, the, the lack of pollution that's invisible in its impact because people aren't getting ill, children aren't struggling with breathe, breathing issues, and there's a whole load of problems that we would have been seeing that we're not seeing. So there's this strange kind of invisibility and visibility, um, which I think is a strange prism through which that one, one sees and doesn't see. Definitely. I mean, you know, we're hearing beautiful stories about what it's doing to the environment, but that's true as well. How that's now the environment being clearer is now impacting, right, the health of people generally for the better. That's fantastic. Yeah. I remember when they stopped putting lead in petrol engines, uh, in, in, mm. in fuel, um, there was a massive drop in violent crime because there was so much less lead in the atmosphere mm. and it sends you mad and people were just on a high level of madness because they were being lead poisoned the whole time. Same with lead pipes as well. And that was the last one. And I think we're seeing the same thing that other levels of, you know, we hear about domestic violence right now. We hear about all the, the sort of what the, the, the social um, lockdown has had on families and, you know, people, but also there's a lot of beauty coming out. Yeah, I, I I really hear what you're saying, and and it's it is all of those things at once, isn't it? It's not it's not just one or the other. It's it's there are positive effects of it, but it's also this huge tragedy and and a huge trauma for for everybody. For the show today, we've asked you to choose a track inspired by lockdown and by this crazy weird time that we're in. Um, can you tell us a bit about the track you've chosen and why? So yeah, I chose um, the Space Between Us by Roxy Music. Um, I love the song, it has a good title, thought it was a bit funny, but it's not that funny. Anyway, yeah, I just went with <laughs> Yes, I get it. Uh, here we are with The Space Between Us by Roxy Music. On to your next track choice. Um, we've asked you to choose a song that you wish you'd written. Can you tell us what you've chosen and why? Um, I chose Help Me by Joni Mitchell. Um, it's just, I think the thing with Joni Mitchell is there's not a single song that I hear that I'm not like, how the hell did she do that? You know, I, I, it, there's something, you know, how she writes is always um, extraordinary exceptional I don't know she's just she's just a genius and and uh, and we take so many people for granted and uh, but when you really listen it's it's kind of incredible where 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 I don't know where she meets the the melody and the and the words always amazing so this is Help Me by Joni Mitchell Beth, you don't know this, but this is the second Joni Mitchell track that we've had on this program, quite by coincidence, and actually quite appropriate because Joni was a pioneer of the environmental movement. She was much less associated with that than the civil rights movement and uh, was banging on about yeah, plastic in the oceans and oil spills way before anybody really cared about it. It's a good choice. Yeah. This is Music Declares Emergency Radio. I'm Sam Lee with Faye Milton, and we're joined by Beth Orton, who is choosing her No Music on a Dead Planet playlist for us. And so, Beth, it's time for you to choose your next choice. And we've asked you if you had to choose one song from your own back catalogue that you particularly love or feel might have been overlooked, what would it be and why? Um, I've chosen Last Leaves of Autumn from my record Sugaring Season. I just It's just been in my mind a bit recently, and I just thought, oh, that's probably one that people might not know so much. So, yeah, um, I thought that would be a good choice. It is actually an, an extraordinary song, and I, I've been listening to it lots since you selected it. And do you know what? The lyrics just seem so pertinent for now. Mm, um, thank you. 
Yeah, very, it's, we're living in a kind of spring and an autumn, the end of something and also the beginning of something new. And I think a lot of the emotions you write are there in this. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I like this song. It feels, it feels like it feels appropriate. Well, here it is. Last Leaves of Autumn. Oh, the leaves, how they shimmer. Thanks so much for joining us today, Beth, and good luck with everything. Thank you. You can hear the tracks Beth Orton has chosen and indeed all the music featured on today's show on our Music Declares Emergency Spotify playlist. Scary science fact. This from Professor Sergei Petrovsky of Leicester University. About two-thirds of the planet's oxygen is produced by ocean phytoplankton. As temperatures rise, the plankton die. As plankton die, they suck up less carbon dioxide, thus warming the Earth further. This causes more plankton to die. The plankton is depleting at 1% per year, but depletion will accelerate as the world warms faster. There will come a point where acceleration will be unstoppable. So we all know how tough times are right now in the music business and running a record label is difficult at the best of times. But trying to do this ethically with a focus on sustainability adds a whole other dimension of complexity and cost. But that is exactly what Nigel Adams, co-owner of Full Time Hobby and a key part of Music Declares Emergency is doing. In between releasing records from the likes of White Denim, Tongue, Samantha Crane and School of Seven Bells, Nigel has been looking into Full Time Hobby's finances to make sure that the label has a positive effect on the world, whilst also battling with the many challenges caused by lockdown. Nigel joins us now to talk more about surviving lockdown from a business perspective and how the label is making positive contributions to the environment. Hello, Nigel. Thanks very much for coming in. Given the shutdown, I imagine this has been a difficult time for full-time hobby. Hey, Sam. Uh, Yes, it it has been really tricky. Um, We're a development label, really. You know, a lot of artist development, signing bands from scratch and building up. Um, and a key part of that is live. And with all the tours being cancelled and all the festivals, that's really created a lot of problems. And I imagine physical sales are obviously key to the label's revenue. But So how are you trying to get releases to fans and to be listened to without stores being open at the moment? Yeah, physical sales for us are probably about a third of our income. So it's really important. Um, Bandcamp has been a massive help at this time. Um we're still running our own mail order. We're supporting all the indie stores in the UK who are running mail order, keeping going. They're obviously not open and not allowed, you know, to let people in, but they're, they're doing a really sterling job. Um, but further afield, France and Germany, it's, it's very, very difficult because everything's shut down. And I imagine that what a lot of artists are experiencing right now is the is the the stop of creativity. And obviously, you've got timelines and records, you know, coming out very soon that are being made with the inability for musicians to meet up. Um, are you seeing your artists coming up with ingenious ways of being creative and, and getting around the hurdles of quarantine? Yeah, a, a lot of our artists have their own recording equipment. Um, Mike from Tongue, for example, has got his got a whole studio set up in his house so he's he's able to carry on in lots of ways he obviously can't have the band around there recording but with stems already done and that kind of thing mixing um some bands are just using the time to write to demo uh we've got one band that because they live together they've been able to go into a studio but that's really you know that's very few and far between it's interesting you're saying about third of all your sales is physical and now that people are being dependent more and more on streaming. Do you think that switch to virtual music playing is going to be permanent? And are we also entering into an age of the online gig? Yeah, I mean, in in terms of like digital streaming sales and downloads and that kind of thing, I mean, that's really helped everybody in the sense that it's underwritten uh, a kind of uh, a consistent income, which has been really important for everybody. If this had happened say 15 years ago, the music industry would have been decimated because it relied so heavily on physical. 
Um, in terms of playing live versus streaming live, uh, I think for the indie community, it's opened a whole new world to them. I think you've had the pop community maybe for a long time have been interacting with YouTube and it's been second nature to a lot of the younger acts. But to the acts that we work with, they've maybe shied away from it. And to have this opportunity has been brilliant and they've really embraced it. Um, what one artist that I'm working with, Dana Gavansky, she had her album coming out literally as lockdown hit. So it really affected her. All of her tour, festivals, everything was cancelled. Um, but now she's done four or five like mini online festivals. She's streaming herself once a week, doing Instagram, going to do Q&As, done things like Blogatech in France. So it's it's really exciting. I think there's some really good opportunities coming out of this. And, uh, you know, I hope the positive things take root and are carried forward when lockdown ends. So, Nigel, you were one of the founders of Music Declares and the AIM Climate Action Group. So do you, what do you think the music industry should be doing as a whole at this point to address the climate emergency? I think um, the most important thing that the music industry can do is talk truth to power. Um, I think there are lots of small things that can be done um, and, and we should be doing. But I think the most important thing is to hold government accountable and hold the fossil fuel industries accountable and keep pressure on them like every industry should be doing. But I think the fact that we've got maybe a slightly louder voice because of our platform, we should be using it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So I believe that you've been looking into the finances and the economics of your label and see how that's affecting the planet. What what prompted you to start that? Well, it, it really came from a personal perspective. Um, I've been interested in the environment for years and years, and I've been doing what I can. But particularly with the IPCC report and with the activity of XR, that really gave me a kick up the arse to actually get on and make some proper changes. So I've kind of gone through every aspect of my life to see where I could change things. And when I came to finances, I thought that potentially this is one of the most important. Um, you know, for example, I started, I've start. i always had a co-op account personally, which is one step. But then I opened up a Triodos account for savings. I started looking at any money that I got invested, for, say, the kids um, and ways that I could change over into sustainable you know, uh, finances. And then when I did that, I also made sure that I contacted the companies that they were related to and told them why I was doing it. And then anywhere that I got money, I went and I wrote to those people and I said, this is what I think. I'm your customer. This is what I believe in. And and just tried to do that as much as I could. Um, and then started to look at our, our company as well, having done that. So we've started Triodos accounts um we still have an hsbc account which i do want to get rid of but it's difficult at the moment with triodos because they don't have cards with the current account so constantly tweaking and it's by no means perfect and i certainly don't hold us up as some shining light but i'm just trying you know every little bit to keep tweaking what we do great and um we're also there's a earth day switch campaign which is going to really help people find out the best ways they can access um greener and more efficient ways of um, banking. Um, so on a practical level, how else did you go about changing things within the label? So um, I've been part of the AIM board for the last few years. So I felt that um, trying to drive change there would potentially help the industry. So myself and Peter Quick from Ninja Tune really pushed to, to get an AIM climate group started, um, which got quite a lot of interest, got quite a lot of labels um, who had been thinking the same to come together and we meet once a month and discuss issues. Um, small changes we've made, all of our CDs now have got an inbuilt offset aspect to them. So for everything that we manufacture on that front, it is offset by our manufacturer. We've done little things like rather than shrink wrap, we've got um, kind of longer life, heavier duty bags, which although it's not a perfect thing, it's one step of, of, of how we can change. And then looking at travel and, and that trying to do things like um, a promo tour or a band touring, if there's any way we can do it by train, then we try and do that. Or if we've got to go and do meetings, um, for example, we had Eurosonic in January and we booked 
trains up to Groningen rather than flying. Um, it's just really everything, just trying bit by bit to, to tweak it. Brilliant. And if you could persuade the music industry to change one thing tomorrow, what would that be? I have to say, I think it would be flying. Um, I think flying is so a massive part of the music industry. And I think we almost try and stick our heads in the sand and say, we can't change that. That's just not doable. But I think we have to find a way. Um, You know, they're talking about aviation growing by 700% between now and I think the next 10 years. And there's just no way that it can grow in that way if we're going to keep a lid on emissions. So I think we've got to face it head on. And we're by no means perfect. You know, I bring bands in from Australia and I bring bands in from America and I've kind of got my hands tied, but it's like, how can we all help each other to change that? And I think seeing big bands like Massive Attack talking about trying to tour by train is is gives us all so much strength because we can actually start to investigate that and it can potentially put pressure on the real decision makers within the infrastructures who can then try and drive help for everybody to use, say, trains more. or um, it, It's got no straight answer, but, you know, that's what I think. Well, Nigel, thank you. Those are really inspiring and vital words here. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on the show with us. But um, before we let you go, um, I'd like to ask if you could tell us a bit about the track that you've chosen recently uh, from Full Time Hobby. Thanks. Yeah, this is um, a new signing to us. It's a band from Melbourne, Australia called Banana Gun. Uh, we've got an album coming out by them in June and this is a brand new track that's going live on the 22nd of April called People Talk. You've been listening to Music Declares Emergency, our first ever radio show, and I'm Sam Lee. And I'm Faye Milton and we've had a really good time putting the show together. We'll be back at the same time in four weeks with more amazing guests from the world of music, climate action and science and music from our Declarers playlist on the theme of music and activism, some rich pickings there. So please send us your track suggestions via the social channels at Music Declares, that's on Twitter and Instagram and via our Facebook page. You've been listening to Music Declares Emergency Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. 